the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, I am Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Mr. David, I have neglected you, Mr. David Dahl. <laughs> I have, young David, I have neglected you for the last two days. You weren't here yesterday. Partly. Well, I guess partly. Yes, that's correct. You were partly here. I was partly here. It was it was my, my very presence that caused you to flee in terror. Not exactly. <laughs> What what have you to say for yourself? What pin are you what wearing? Have I to say for what did you do for the weekend? What's oh going on in well, the world? Over the weekend, Saturday morning, I got up very early, not as early as a Dagny walk, but I was up and rolling at five a.m. Yes, sir. And I went out and I went on the corner of Bethany Home and Central and participated in a little itty bitty thing called the Fiesta Bowl Parade. Yeah. Yes, I had the great privilege and honor of getting to hold the title sponsor's balloon. And so if you were watching Arizona's family that morning at around 10, that's when the parade started. You I made was, the televised uh, news. I was on the telly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did with my weekend. Then I had an Art Deco Society event on Sunday. Along with that, some Christmas parties here and there. Did you cook anything good? No, I was just too busy. And what does your pin say? Uh, today, I've got a, a Johnson Kennedy pin. And I bet you can guess why. Why today would you have a Johnson Kennedy pin? Because Mike Johnson is running for president and picking Robert Kennedy Jr. to run as his running mate? Close, but no cigar. No, I've got – this is Bobby Mm -hmm. on here when he was uh, attorney general for Johnson. They wanted them to run with each other. I've got uh, Bobby Kennedy on here because Senator Kennedy's son will be in Phoenix tomorrow. Oh, okay. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I read about it in The Republic, actually, uh, a couple few days ago. And um, I said something, you know, about Bobby Kennedy uh, with the previous caller. Was it Mike, maybe, and um, and Carefree? And, uh, you know, he gives and he takes. (laughs) You know, he gives and he takes. Sometimes he is... So dang good, and sometimes he is very much wanting to remind you that he is of still the liberal wing of the Democratic Party, basically with some dollops of common sense about the thing. That's what it's. A, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Sagar and Crystal have this podcast. It's maddening. It's big, but it's maddening because they're maddening. And uh, he knows things. Bobby does. There's no question. The man is learned. He uh, in this clip I want to play for you. Uh, he tells them how it is. Before I play this clip, uh, I have a special. Speaking of the Fiesta Bowl parade, speaking of the Fiesta yeah. Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl is coming to Glendale, Arizona. Obviously, on January first, as it is every year, as is every racehorse's birthday. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look it up. Uh, it's coming to Glendale, 
Arizona on January 1st, and Liberty University and 960 The Patriot want you to attend and cheer on your favorite team. Will it be the Liberty Flames or the Oregon Ducks? Call in to win right now. First caller, 602-508-0960, and you could get a set of tickets to go to the Fiesta Bowl for all the excitement. Did I say that right? I think so. Okay. <laughs> you were looking at me like, what did you just say? What did you just say? And you didn't tell me if I you are the next tickets? caller at 602-508-0960, we can give you a pair of tickets to attend the Fiesta Bowl. Now, Seth, I know you're of the um, sports challenged variety. That's not nice. Um, do you know what the Fiesta Bowl is? I'm well aware. I even know why it's called a bowl. Do you know why it's called a bowl? Because it's in an O shape. Well, it's not the O shape. It's the con. It's the. I think uh, we have some callers. I got to take some okay. calls. Okay, it's the concave nature of the stadium is what it is. Uh, concave? Yes, concave. Or, yes, concave. They couldn't sit in it if it were convex. Bobby Kennedy telling uh, Sagar and Crystal how it is when it comes to what's going on with Israel and Hamas. Hamas is a criminal enterprise. Sure. Yes. The, the Palestinian, and you, you talk about solutions for the Palestinian people. The yeah. Palestinian people are arguably the most pampered people by international aid organizations. In the are you kidding of the world. me? No, Even I'm not. before this war, 78% of people in Gaza well, said they had you know, not enough food to eat. Right. And why is that? Why are you blaming well, Israel? In part, for? it's Hamas, and in part, it's the fact that Israel imposed a blockade and talked about putting them on a diet. If your if your neighbor, first of all, Israel has no obligation. Israel built three thousand hot houses and gave them for greenhouses. That would have made Gaza completely food self sufficient. Gave it to them as a gift. Offered to rebuild the port of Gaza to make it the Singapore of the West. Hamas said, no, we don't want you money, we don't want you ideas. And what do they do? The international aid agencies have given Hamas, have given Gaza more than 10 times the per capita what we gave to rebuild all of Europe after the Marshall Plan. They've gotten $8,300 per capita, every person in Gaza. We rebuilt Europe with $621 per capita in Europe, and we rebuilt it. Mm. What did they do with that money? Instead of using it to make this, you know, Gaza is this beautiful country. White sand beaches, it should be a paradise. Hamas said, we don't want that. They take virtually all of that money and they steal it. So the top five guys, the top five leaders of Hamas are billionaires. Ismail Haineh has $5 billion, according to Forbes. But, Bobby, again... Wait, let me just finish. No, because you made us... You know, you are making a statement that is just wrong. It's not Israel's fault that Gaza is poverty-stricken. Gaza should be one of the the wealthiest states on the the Mediterranean. They have no control over their own territory. Of course, if you go to war... Everything that comes in and goes out... If you go to war... No, Crystal, Crystal, why are you blaming... Why do you insist on blaming Israel rather than blaming Hamas? I do blame Hamas, but you know what else, Bobby? Our tax dollars do not go to Hamas. They go to the net new hospital. Yeah, and why? And you it's know our what? bombs. 22,000 of which are bombed, dropped population right now. You know what most of our tax cut dollars have gone for? For the Iron Dome. 
which is a way of not blame, of not invading Gaza. Our country and Israel for 16 years have expended this huge amount of money to try not to go into Gaza, while Gaza sent 2,000 rockets a year, suicide bombers, and of course Israel's going to fight. how many times Israel come in and quote-unquote mowed the lawn? They've gone in five times, and every time they've signed a peace agreement with Hamas, and every time they violated that peace agreement. Let, let me, let me well, just... Well, Israel also has been... Oh, why are you... Palestinians in one but probably, hold on. Listen, if Mexico attacked us and we built a fence, would you blame us for caging in Mexico? Well, you're, you know, well, I don't know what, what it is, but everything in your mind is telling you to blame Israel Bobby. It, instead of blaming Hamas. Yeah, yeah, he was telling him how it is. Um, you know, his dad, his dad was a correspondent, a news correspondent um, in Israel when it was uh, founded, his uh his, his family's history of wisdom and understanding and knowledge of that region is quite extensive, and his dad ultimately paid the ultimate price, didn't he, for being supportive of Israel. If you read Sirhan Sirhan's diaries, right, young David? He killed Bobby Kennedy because Bobby Almost Kennedy liked Israel. Almost exclusively over his support of the state of Israel. Yeah. It was the first act, as far as I know, the first act of Arab terrorism on American soil. It's just not really taught that way in the history books. We've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is. Did I tell you about the violation I saw take? You've heard my donut lecture on <laughs> etiquette. Yes. Okay. Did you see what happened in real life? The call came from within the office. What? The call came from within the office. Our office. Our office. What happened? We didn't have donuts recently. Did Tim, you have donuts without me? Tim Andrews. Okay. Goes to Craig and sees a box of brownies on his desk. Mm-hmm. And Tim, who had missed lunch, though he claims not to have, asked if he could have a brownie. Violation number one. You wait for it to be. Oh, offered. you wait so you, for the you wait for the obligatory offer. Yes. Burden shifting to Craig because he's a mensch said, "Of course, you can eat of my bounty," and he opened up the box of brownies. Tim, entering violation number two, scours around <laughs> for the brownie that he wants, passing over the raspberry flavored ones which are, by definition, the worst of them in any case, in any collection of brownies, when that's what he should have taken because he's already in the position of the pauper begging, and takes what is arguably the best brownie, the chocolate chip one. Have we not gone over this and over this? Well, we didn't apply the rules to brownies. They were just applied to donuts. No, the rules, autochthonous, should rule throughout all genres of cuisine, effort, list. and life. We need a comprehensive list. It includes uh, donuts, It includes brownies. everything edible. What else? Piece of candy? Edible. Edibles. Comestibles. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Young David gave me this magazine I was mentioning here in the first hour, a special edition from December 1964 from U.S. News and World Report. Goldwater Speaks His Mind. Exclusive interview. Fantastic. David. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's a post-mortem of his election and then a look to the future. And it goes on for pages. This is, uh, as we said, Goldwater kind of unplugged in his heyday. And uh, we're going to have to have... Um, John Shattuck reads some of it uh, tomorrow. My my um, my beady little eyes here. Put my glasses on. My beady little eyes here went 
to the word extremism because, as you know, I, 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 I've spoken often on this and, mm-hmm. and feel very um, – what do I want to say? You feel educated. very extreme on the extremism? Well, yeah, I feel educated on the issue because my uh, teacher wrote Dr. that. Jaffa. Yeah, he wrote extremism and the defense of liberty is no vice moderation and the pursuit of justice is no virtue, which is perhaps which are perhaps the most famous words of any convention speech ever. Um and as Harry Jaffa would often say, and they were the last I ever wrote <laughs> for a convention speech. Um He's asked in uh, this interview, and I, 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 I'm reading this not for nostalgia, but because this is what we're going to be facing, by the way, as Republicans. I, I wrote this about uh, in an op-ed about uh, the Republican Party and its discontents a couple, uh, couple few weeks ago um, about you know the danger of Republicans abandoning ship because they don't like the ideology or the bent of the nominee when what we're up against, as Goldwater said— is socialism. So he blamed the use of the word extremism for part of the defections from him in 1964. Uh, he said, um, I'd like to tell, I'd like to say to George Romney, what do you mean I'm extreme? Let's pin this thing down. What is an extremist? I never got a satisfactory answer, Goldwater says. Again, I've asked Rockefeller too, time and again. Define for me an extremist. I certainly don't care for extremists. But is is a man an extremist just because he's concerned about the trend of government or the trend of Supreme Court decisions? Did he ever give you an answer, the U.S. News asks. No, he never has. Well, what is your own definition of an extremist, U.S. News asks Barry Goldwater. Answer, he would be a communist on one side and a fascist on the other. Those are the poles of extremism. This whole area of semantics has become interesting. It's 1964. This whole area of semantics has become interesting because words don't mean anything anymore in this field. 1964. I remember how one of the columnists started the attack on the conservatives when it was felt that conservatism was making inroads. He said that our answers were too pat and they were too simple. Well, they worn that one out because the average American likes to have a simple answer. And then they began to move the liberal into the middle. They realized that liberalism was becoming associated with leftists, and a leftist, in the average person's mind, is a communist. So we began to see more and more of the columnists and so on describing Hubert Humphrey as a moderate and Lyndon Johnson as a moderate. To some extent, Senator Fulbright is a moderate. To them, Senator Morse is a moderate. Now, this immediately pushes the conservative in the average person's mind into the rightist end I can look forward to the next few years. Humphrey and Johnson will be referred to as conservatives, and we who are conservatives will be referred to as idiots on the right or a dangerous fringe element. The whole thing is balled up to the point of being meaningless. Actually, we have no true liberals in the country anymore except conservatives. He's Mm. describing what we now know as the Overton window, right? Where these labels have changed and, yes, been politically used as weapons, cudgels. It was no mistake that um, the Obama administration started redefining what Dr. Mike said uh, about radical Islam as uh, religious extremism. They kept using the word extremists. Al-Qaeda was an extremist organization, an extremist movement. And then when the election came here in 2012 and in 2016— they used that same word for Republicans, extremists. 
you know, you can play a little bit of a Lenny Riefenstahl trick on the mind if you effort that long enough where you interpose, you know, al-Qaeda imagery to Republicans. There used to be a phrase, the Taliban wing of the Republican Party. You are probably too young, David, remember the usage of that shortly after 9-11. But many, many liberals and leftists would speak of the conservative part of the Republican Party as the Taliban wing of the Republican Party. Now, they stopped doing that. And my own sense of why they stopped doing that is, um, is twofold. One is, I don't think they want to remind people of where the Taliban is right now. <laughs> no, I really don't. I, you know, the Taliban has been put back in power by Joe Biden, so how bad could it be? You can't use it as the totem for something negative now that Joe Biden has empowered them mm. to run the country of Afghanistan as part of our withdrawal, right? That's, that's, that's reason one. Reason two is there is this insane thirst from the left to associate and affiliate, as Dr. Siegel put it in the Wall Street Journal this morning, to have leftist movements associate with and defend and justify the defense of truly extreme, bigoted movements, the word for which intolerance doesn't even come close to describing, like the whole LGBTQ for Palestine movement was his example. How can you have these progressives who are pro-LGBTQ, who are pro-choice, who are pro-women's rights? Is that not, though, the— Affiliate with organizations and movements that would kill any of them for saying so in their own territories. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Is that not, though, the modus operandi, the trend that we've been seeing with post-war liberalism yeah. for the past 80-odd years? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it and it goes back – Did you have you ever had the chance – I haven't berated you enough on this point. Berated me yeah. enough. Yeah. You haven't berated me I enough. I teach by beration. Apparently. Uh, I think. It works <laughs> on you. Have I berated you enough for not – or for having not read the book Witnessed by Whitaker Chambers yet? Oh, yes. I, I need to read it. It's also a very large book. Yeah, but it's poetic. It'll take you a long time to read it. That's not, what I mean. Not it because it's long. long not read, because yes. it's long, but because it's poetic. I need to study. It's poetic. You're going to want to reread sentences. They are so beautifully written. This well, maybe was, I can go to – our friend on 36 and Indian School yeah. Book Gallery. Please do. Who's a friend of the show. Yeah. We can't recommend him enough to our listeners. Yeah, go. Maybe I can ask him for a copy. Yeah, please do. Go to it before someone else listens to this show and buys it. Go directly buy it for me. Show. By the way, we had a winner for the Fiesta Bulk tickets. And the most endearing thing in the world is she said she remembers listening to your grandfather on radio in the Philippines. Well, I don't know if she said my grandfather, but she said my grandfather's station. Oh, I'll put it that way. Okay. I don't know if she was okay. – let's not age her inappropriately. Okay. All right. All right. She knew the station. Yes. That's beautiful. Very familiar with my station. I love it. That's beautiful. We'll be right back. This is really incredible. Um, Colorado has done the unfathomable. Um, and the Supreme Court of the state of Colorado, not of the United States, has ruled that um, Donald Trump is disqualified from being on the ballot in the state of Colorado. This is, this is unfathomable. Unfathomable. 
um, having been found guilty of nothing criminal, including treason, having found, having not been found guilty of instigating or supporting insurrection anywhere, he has been, he has been um, denied access to the ballot in Colorado. Kind of an important state they all are. It takes a measure I you know it'll be appealed to the United States Supreme Court, obviously they'll go on direct appeal to the United States Supreme Court, and uh it's lights out if the Supreme Court upholds this. Do you know why it's lights out if the Supreme Court upholds this because it gives the green light to other states to do it and then and then it's i mean the Republicans do, hit do the they know button? the fire they're playing with here are are they trying? To cause, are they trying to cause a violent reaction in this country and then exploit it? The answer is yes. To ask that question is to answer that. To take, you know, all the while calling, back to earlier segment, all the while calling us extremists, they engage in an unprecedented measure of extremism by disqualifying. By the way, not only not only the number one candidate in the catbird seat in the opposition party, but, according to most polls now, the likely winner of the general election. (laughs) To disqualify, never mind a former president, never mind any of the qualification clause in the U.S. Constitution, are they trying to provoke an overreaction? The answer is they are, and they are calling us the extremists. This is a blaming of the victim, and it's gaslighting, and it's politics as war. It's politics as war. Now, I hope I'm not misheard to be in support of any overreaction. That's why I use the word overreaction. Because there will be ways of dealing with this. But you can't throw matches on dry tinder and blame the dry tinder. You cannot violently abuse an animal and blame it for biting back. And this is what they are engaged in, abuse of process, abuse of political process, abuse of legal process, and abuse of constitutional process. Donald Trump broke norms. Name me one. Name me a norm he broke. No, the media broke all the norms. And now the liberal judiciary working hand in glove with those who must be so terrified of his victory that they would engage in these measures that were dreamt up by two and a half faculty members retired from the Harvard Law School. The notion that they would try and deprive such a huge swath 
of engaging in normal political processes over someone they say is so bad that he's winning and cannot win is a measure that, if not overturned by the Supreme Court, is lights out here. It's lights out. It is an insult to banana republics to call this banana republican. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. You want me to let it just ride? Let what? Sammy? Yeah. Sammy? Yeah, I'll let it ride. Do you know what Sammy said upon his conversion to Judaism? No. When critiqued by audiences (laughs) in the mid-60s, he said, yes, yes, it is true. Uh, I am half black, and my mother was Puerto Rican. And I have adopted Judaism as my faith. He said, buddy, when I go to a neighborhood, I wipe it out. (laughs) (laughs) So I I like to think that we've covered all of the holidays by including Sammy in our bumper music. You know what's interesting to me is you don't hear as much about Kwanzaa as you used to. No. You notice that? Because it's made up? uh, Well, there's all that. and, And I suppose people had started to do the research into the fraud of the originator and all that. But um, with apologies for entering Adam Carolla territory here. Yeah, that got Mr. Bill's attention. (laughs) I noticed it first fading when Barack Obama became president. That's when I noticed it first fading. And I think it's because everyone kind of knew that was – a huge benchmark, if not the benchmark. You know, it was always interesting. <clears throat> Every Republican I ever knew always thought an African-American, a black man could become, or for that matter, female, could become elected president. I never knew a Republican that doubted it after, I don't know, 88 maybe, let's say, somewhere around there in the 80s and early 90s. I never met a Republican who doubted it. Um. One of the most interesting political cultural moments I ever witnessed was at RFK Jr. Stadium. Is it still RFK Jr. Stadium in Washington? I don't know if it still is. It might be. Yeah, I think it is. And um, it was a country music fest. And it was a great lineup. My God, it was Tim McGraw. And it was Faith Hill. And it was Martina McBride. And it was, it was just a great lineup. It was a fest. George Strait. Good Lord, any one of these people could have filled the auditorium, could have filled the stadium. They all did like two or three songs. And it's 2000. The year is 2000. And, you know, I'm a Lincoln guy. I'm a Union guy. Hate the idea of the Confederacy and what it stood for and all of that. And um, I pull in with my friend Jed, and right next to us pulls up a big old hiked up, Chevy truck and it's entirely covered what's the word I want I guess we would say wrapped with a confederate flag and I'm thinking oh sheesh and I shouldn't have because when I got out and I saw the bumper sticker you know what it said keys 2000 Alan Keys oh 
Yes. Alan Keyes, who was an African-American. Ambassador Alan Keyes, yes. It was an, not only an African-American. Now, this is a southern country thing and a confederate. Not only an African-American, but a prominent Catholic with a Ph.D. from Harvard, by the way, <laughs> all, all to boot. And I thought, you know, this, this is the Republican Party. They have had no problem with the notion of electing a minority to the presidency, at least not in the last 30 years or so, it seems to me. But, you know, every Democrat I ever talked to said this country could never do it. This country would never do it. Every Democrat said this country will never elect a black person to the presidency. Never. And it shows you right there or showed you right there when Barack Obama became elected, when he was elected president. It showed you right there that this view of America as a systemically racist place has been there a long time. This is not a new charge. It may be a new verbalization and an articulation of it. But it was always part and parcel of the liberal mindset that we were a systemically racist country in the mind of the left and the liberals and the Democrats, not in the mind of the Republicans who had no problem. And people forget how serious – people forget. But I am here to tell you and those around Washington and other precincts in the higher-ups, Republican Party are active at any level in the Republican people Party – People forget how very, very seriously an effort there was to nominate Colin Powell in 1996. Mm -hmm. It was a huge effort. Of course, he was wildly popular. And people were asked about it all the time. Remember, Margaret Thatcher was asked about it. I suppose, looking back in hindsight, perhaps we uh, dodged well, a bullet. We didn't win either way. <laughs> yeah, We yeah, didn't right. win either way. <laughs> and I, I'd, have, I'd have certainly taken – well, actually, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. We, we didn't we – didn't do a it didn't happen because the Republican Party operates on seniority, not uh, ingenuity too often. And um, and so when Barack Obama, the Corolla point, when Barack Obama became president, people you know forget that truly was a huge benchmark. Not only was it a benchmark, it was pretty much the benchmark. We'll know we're past all this stuff once we elect. And then the goals change. But the reason I went down this path here was to talk about I started first noticing Kwanzaa disappearing when he became president. Hmm. And I think part and parcel of it was just by dint that African-Americans in America had, in a sense, finally – I hate to use the expression, but it's the natural expression – had finally arrived. They had finally fulfilled, you know – what could only be considered, you know, the highest station one could fulfill. <laughs> He's electable president of, the, we've, president of the United States. The other thing is, and it might have been a little bit more subtle, and I may just not be right about this. It's, it's all hypothesis. Is that the Obamas as president and first lady, Barack and Michelle Obama, they celebrated Christmas very publicly. You know, they did the Christmas lighting. They did the Christmas decorating of the White House. And so there would have been an obvious incongruity. Wait, I didn't think that was our holiday or that was your holiday. I mean, it would have been just too incongruous on many levels. 
Anyway, I've since noticed, since then, Kwanzaa just isn't as prominent as it used to be. Now, we'll watch. It might be interesting to see if... I, I don't watch much local news anymore. I don't know if anyone does in the audience. I can crowdsource this. You used to even see on TV and local news wishing everyone a happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, and a Merry Christmas or whatever. I don't know if they do that anymore. My guess is it's just now generically watered down and vitiated to meaningless holidays. Yeah. A pet peeve a of mine. Holidays. I do not say the phrase, ever. I, I just won't have it. You say? I will, if it's a person I know happens to be Jewish, I will say, Happy Hanukkah. If it's a person I happen to know not to be Jewish, I will default, because that is a typical default, and say Merry Christmas. And if they want to correct me, that is up to them. But it is a national holiday, and I say it as easily as I would say, Happy Independence Day or Happy Thanksgiving. That's how it is. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They're based here locally. They're headquartered here. You can visit with them. I've been their offices any number of times. They're on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. If you do visit with them, you won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do and letting it speak for itself. Or let me speak for them. They offer up a secure and collateralized uh, uh, investment in a portfolio where you can earn up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. And it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed with a ton of control that you have. You're in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it. No fees. No attack on principal if you ever need your money back. And you get your monthly statement with no surprises. Check them out at investyrefi.com if you don't visit with them in person. Invest the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. Um, I want to uh, very much definitely encourage you, David, to get the book Witness and um, read We shall it. have to return to book gallery. You're going to savor it. Going to savor it. It is poetry. He explains Whitaker Chambers does this notion of why, based off that Goldwater interview I was reading from, uh, he explains why Democrats, a beautiful ex- explanation as to why more Democrats didn't decry communism. He said, uh, grab my glasses. Sorry. Men who sincerely abhorred the word communism in the pursuit of common ends found that they were unable to distinguish communists from themselves. For men who could not see that what they firmly believed was liberalism added up to socialism could scarcely be expected to see what added up to communism. Any charge of communism enraged them precisely because they could not grasp the differences between themselves and those against whom it was made. In other words, their policies were too uncomfortably close to what they would discover about communism. Hmm. That it became uncomfortable. Uh, Irving Kristol wrote a very important essay on this. Um, Civil Liberties something about civil liberties in a a, a case study, civil liberties, a case study, 1952. And he said what the American people know about Joe McCarthy is that he is anti-communist. What they don't know about the Democrats is that they aren't. 
Interesting, huh? I got to go. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.